Welcome to the 28th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brenda Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkin. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about the year ahead and the year behind, things we've enjoyed over the last year and things we're looking forward to. Ah, our chance to be completely and horribly wrong about 2017. Yay! This will be the year of the Linux desktop. No, no, it's the year of the Linux laptop. Well, if Apple doesn't get their, get their stuff together, it may well be. Um, their professional stuff is falling farther, farther and farther behind from my uses. And I'm starting to seriously consider what it would take to switch full-time to a Linux desktop. Apple will either release some more compelling hardware for uh, us professional users, or there will be continued dissatisfaction and folks moving away from from Apple hardware. And I've been very much of the opinion that, yeah, you start a new job, issue me a MacBook Pro, and um, off I go. And yeah, I'm not well being up for a harder refresh at my current job. I'm not well satisfied with my current options. Yeah. Where do you plug me, in that YubiKey? <laughs> well, you, there's a dongle for that. <laughs> So I need a $20 dongle for uh, my microphone, my headset, my YubiKey. Uh, well, hey, hey, hey. They felt bad. They they reduced the price down to what? Now it's like $14, $15 for the next few months because they felt really bad about it. So, yeah, Okay, good. I, I, you know. I, yeah. for, for me, though, the only problem with the Linux desktop slash laptop is two things. One, I've, I have become entrenched into the Apple ecosystem, at least – Myself and, and my family, my wife's got an iPhone, she has a Mac. So we, we heavily use iMessages, which you obviously can't use on Linux. Um, and uh, we you, we do the shared calendars, we do photo stream for our uh, daughter's pictures, things like that. So I, I really, the, the OSX desktop for those features is great. And then the second thing for me is I've gotten spoiled with these high-resolution displays from Apple and then going to Linux... But they are really some of the best displays out there, other than the it, fact they're glossy. It's just the the, the high-definition... I mean, the, the high-DPI support is either uh, spotty at best or just missing altogether. Yeah, I'm not going to get rid of my personal Mac desktops and stuff yet. I don't, I'm not quite ready for that. But in terms of the work things I do, there's less and less that I do for work that needs a Mac, that even needs the workflow of a Mac. So if on my desk, desk I had an iMac, a personal machine next to me, and then I had my work machine as a Linux box, I would be perfectly happy to have my my OS X digital life, all that crap, live on the personal machine and then get actually worked on a Linux box. I've been very happy for a long time on on a Linux workstation. So that's definitely my preferred work environment. Um, so if I'm at my office or at home, uh, at you know, a location that I can set up a real workstation, that's what happens. Uh, the MacBook travels with me, uh, runs all the weird Skype and, and telecommunication stuffs, um, and enables me to work from wherever I travel from. But you know, other than that, I really don't do too much work from the Mac. I just need to get Skype and a few other things working on Linux. Yeah. And better yet, a gadget to to manage my headset versus the other three audio systems that are now common on Intel hardware. Do you put it out the HDMI port? Do you do the 
stereo on the off of the motherboard. <laughs> you get a DAC. Well, then you have to figure out when to switch to it. That's you get a DAC that has a, a monitor out and a headphone output. So that way, it's always going to that. That way, you can switch. And then it controls the volume on the on the headphones or on the speakers. Yeah, that's going to be my 2017 thing: is making sure I have something that will manage my sound routing on a on my Linux workstations. One of the other things about machines that I'm looking forward to in 2017 is the prob- the probability that I'm going to move to a YubiKey or some other kind of hardware two-factor authentication. Um, with all the account breaches in the last year, in 2016 we had what two billion Yahoo accounts got breached, or was it a billion accounts that got breached twice? And a bunch of other things. People are paying more attention to security, you know, by going from zero percent to a tenth of a percent. They are paying more attention, and hopefully, this will get us into a, a slightly better world, at least for us. As two-factor authentication, it's having to pull out your phone every time you want to do something and poke at the little screens. Actually, having a device would be good. Yep. And I'm I don't actually if- really happy that folks are finally starting to pay attention to some of that. And I don't because, know a lot about the, the hardware devices. You guys, I think, had a little more experience or exposure to them than I have in the past. But I have looked at YubiKeys for years, um, but never owned one. And they've been fascinating devices for me, but I've never really stepped through how to make it the most useful for me and with all the different types of configurations you can set up with it. Yeah, I've, I've done research on like uh, setting up SSH and sudo to use or reference a, a hardware key or, or two-factor authentication in, in addition to like your other uh, authentication methods. Um, but I don't have an actual physical hardware key. I've just used Google Authenticator and kind of cheated that way. And not everything supports the, the U2F uh, multi-factor authentication protocol yet. So not everything is key ready. That would be far too easy course so yay for 2017 right yeah and the unfortunate specter of security being a driving force for these things but i wonder uh if the uh nsa has their tentacles on that yet i'm certain they do but honestly i'm not worried about the nsa um i mean i'm worried about them in the sense that we're all worried about them but they generally don't share what they're working on or whatever they're doing with other people so generally yeah and they're usually many, many years ahead of the hacker community unless they're sponsoring the hacker group. But that's another story. Or a conspiracy theory. So other things that were in 2016 that I am that have happened that I'm happy about. Um, Kafka is getting rather mature, and I've been playing a lot with it, and I'm getting a lot more comfortable with it. Um, the 10X branch is coming along nicely. They've added security bits to that with Kerberos and Sassel and other things you can do with it. And... It's scaled well for us and it's coming along. And I'm looking forward to in 2017 with it doing the Kafka streaming stuff, which is lets you take your live event logs or your live event data or, or log data and generate metrics and other other data streams out of it um, at reasonably real time. Not hard real time as the, as the old systems programmers will complain about, but something reasonable. So I am very much looking forward to that in 2017 and how we're going to leverage that as we go forward. I've been really happy uh, working with and deploying Prometheus over the last year. I think that system has really come into its own as a next-generation 
database monitoring platform and has been widely accepted. Um, the fact that Prometheus embraces histograms, which if you're making metrics off of the Kafka log data as it streams in, um, histograms are really the only way to do so in an, in an aggregatable, accurate way. So uh, I think uh, histograms something we'll see more of in 2017, um, as well as more fun with Prometheus. Um, the interesting thing I see in, in 2017 is how one deals with the massive amounts of data that uh, systems like Prometheus are generating and storing. Uh, Prometheus doesn't have any sort of clustering. It's just a single node uh, uh, type setup. Um, and I have the privilege of operating an incredibly large graphite cluster, um, which, yeah, is a cluster. It has many terabytes of data behind it. And trying to think forward of how do we how do we take data from one and make it visible to the other and be able to move our data forward as we step toward newer technology? Yeah, one of the big things for me in 2016 was actually getting a new job. Uh, that was actually early on in the year. So Congratulations, Jared. Oh, thank you. Uh, and, funny enough, we're, uh, we're doing the Prometheus as well. Um, so using, uh, it's, it, it really has been a pleasure learning uh, and playing with Prometheus. Uh, I can't remember if I even said it on this podcast before, but actually, at first, I was hesitant about Prometheus just because um, prior to changing jobs, I had done a lot of research, and I actually was going to stay with, with Nagios at my previous position and actually um, also use, start using Collecti more and, and using Raymond as the uh, event uh, processing engine slash alerting engine. Um, I still uh, I still feel some in some ways Raymond beats out Prometheus in a few things, but all in all, uh, Prometheus standalone by itself is just leaps and bounds. Uh, it it really is like if you're like a small shop and you're wanting and you're trying to you're sitting there trying to set up Nagios, Graphite, and all these tools. Prometheus kind of replaces them all. Um, now, obviously, there is, as Jack alluded to, there is some some huge drawbacks. Uh, there isn't any built-in quote-unquote clustering. Uh, their their deal is to run in multiple instances and then use Federation to uh, replicate the data upward. And um, there isn't any long-term storage. Uh, so I, I feel for me in 2017, it's going to be dealing with uh, Prometheus's uh, long-term storage problems. Um, and that, that leads me to, I really feel that I'm going to have to be doing something with ZFS. Um, all the solutions that we've been looking at, uh, in terms of some sort of, uh, metric backend for Prometheus use ZFS in some way or, or other. Um, so I, I really feel that ZFS is going to be something I'm going to be playing with in 2017 as well as scaling and, and yeah, I think if we're, if you're getting to the point where you're storing and coring, upon terabytes and terabytes of data. Um, if you're not playing in ZFS, you're you're kind of playing Russian roulette with your data. The uh, statistical bit read error um, happens one bit every couple hundred terabytes, give or take. Um, and I deal with that much data. I know Brendan does as well. So, Oh, absolutely. 
Um, the newer drives have higher spec URES, but it's still a problem. Yes. So I definitely see uh, some lots of ZFS in the future. Um, I imagine that'll be primarily on Linux, especially for me, um, even though that sort of come out of the Solaris and Open Solaris world. And we'll get to see how well ZFS performs in Linux. Um, there are some peculiar trade-offs there with how the ARC uh, plays with the uh, VFS file cache in memory. Um, so that's something I'm getting to uh, going to look forward to, to in 2017. Well, good news is, is that Ubuntu has officially started supporting ZFS. So ZFS I, out of the box in Zineal. Lawyer that. I don't think it covers booting off ZFS. I think it's only for data sets at this point, but it's still a welcome addition. Right. I have seen ways to boot off of ZFS, but um, I'm not going to try them with a remote colo. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to wait until they get they hit another LTS branch that has ZFS boot included in it, because I'm... In 18 months, I'm going to assume they've worked out most of the bugs that they, they really need to get out. That to the will ZFS most stuff. likely be UEFI booting. Actually, I can pretty much guarantee it would be UEFI booting, which um, uh, I know many operations groups are deadly afraid of. Um, and I really haven't had the experience with it to well, know how it, much to be afraid of it. Wasn't it, uh, for some reason, I want to say it was System D, but I can't remember, but basically. Uh, somebody nuked the UEFI, UEFI uh, partition and uh, when they rebooted they couldn't obviously boot at all. Correct. And uh, I think it was like System D. System D did something like during an update or something like that that just nuked it. And Basically I mean, I, with UEFI it requires a VFAT partition um, within the first terabyte-ish but there's some standardization about how that partition is laid out and deployed um, and found. Um, so you can then actually load code that can read your file system. Thanks for reminding me. The 2017, another 2017, 2017, pa, 2017 thing to look forward to is Xenial LTS releases out now, which means that we're going to start building systems on Xenial, which means system D. And having our unit files and our service files and all those things up to spec. And there's parts of it that I really love. And there's parts of it that just piss me off every time I touch it. Particularly the logging side of it. I've I've really come to love Upstart. So, yeah, getting my hands dirty to System D. Um, I knew it's been coming for a long way, a long time. And I've been avoiding it. Um, some of the interesting things is that you as a normal user can have systemd unit files and run systemd services, um, which uh, allow some very interesting and powerful aspects um, as far as security and isolation, as well as how one might run uh, jobs and well containers on a platform. Yeah, there's big chunks of it that I, I really like, and it's far better than System 5. Parts of it are better than Upstart. It's far better than Launch Control or SMF on Solaris. But I don't like how it gets into everything else. And then logging gets kind of weird and journal CTL and all that happens. I know part of this is just the old gray beard in me that's complaining. but Yeah, I got I, one of those too. I, I distrust a lot of the base assumptions about why we needed to change things for System D. Because I don't think we needed to change them. 
but they've been changed anyway. And that's new reality and I have to deal with it. And part of the benefits, Brendan, since you are, are the elk expert, um, is that you have one centralized place for all of your structured logging that you can redirect from. Uh, much more powerful so than than what we're used to with our syslog or your syslog daemon well, of choice. Wait, wait, in, in what way? Because actually I was, before I left my previous job, I was getting, now it, it is convoluted, I will m- mention this, but I was getting our syslog to use uh, a standardized format, basically converting everything over to JSON and and then forward that into um, Elk direct, and, and actually try to forward it into Elasticsearch directly, skipping um, um, Logstash, so that way I didn't have to have that on the machine. Um, so you can set up our syslog to like format things and then forward everything directly to Elasticsearch. You just have to set up all the rules, much like you did in Logstash. And it's a very archaic or crazy language. Just like Logstash? Yeah. Logstash has... A number of benefits. There's a number of drawbacks. One of the things coming in 2017 is Elastic has released the 5x branch of all their things. So the Elasticsearch and Logstash and all those things are now at a 5x release. And the Java event model that they removed from 2.3.0 because it was it had some corner case regressions that were caused data loss, oops, um, have been fixed and they've put that back into the 5x branch. So the performance should be significantly better. And they've added introspection APIs so you actually can view the Logstash daemon and see how it's doing and where it's calling out in memory and doing other things. So that should make Logstash significantly more operable and more friendly to to our side of the fence. Um, but Logstash just has so many different plugins for inputs and outputs and manipulation, so you can do all kinds of crazy things with it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, this, was, this was for, you know playing around and never got it fully implemented and also i mean we also had control of the logging format from the developers and it wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot of third-party tools to where we didn't have to worry about trying to do a lot of munging on the our syslog side because we would just change the format if there was a problem on the developer side you have control over your developers man well, that was on my 2017 list i guess as much as one could have <laughs> And speaking more about logging, I have put in a talk submission for the Elasticsearch conference in spring of this year, and it has not been accepted yet, but there's still time. So I may be speaking at Elasticon um, in San Francisco. I think it's in March. And if I'm doing that, I encourage our listeners to come out to the conference. I'll be going anyway, even if I'm not speaking, because it's a great conference for all things logging and Elasticsearch related. but that's that's in the pipeline for 2017 as a possibility. What conferences are you guys going to this year? I'm definitely headed toward Monterama. Yeah, I, I really... What else I can squeeze in or, or write a talk um, submission for. Yeah, I missed the early bird deadline for Monterama. I, I keep going back and forth. I really wanted to find a good Prometheus conference, but... I'm afraid they're all going to be, if there is any, well, obviously the official one will probably be in Berlin again. And if there is any others, I, they, they tend to be in the Europe, in, in, in EU. They don't, there, there doesn't tend to be any really good Prometheus based conferences yet in the U S um, unless it's like uh, from, oh, what's that organization? 
that that funds them now. Um, they may have like a day or one talk focused on it, but not like an entire conference dedicated to them. I think Monotrauma is probably your uh, best bet there. I'm sure the Prometheus folks will be there. Yeah, I wonder if Brian Brazil will be there again. I didn't get a chance to. I, I went last year and I didn't get a chance to to sync up with him, and I really wanted to. I can poke fun of him about his implementation of histograms. I'm sure he'll be like PR's welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I've learned a lot this last year about histograms and statistical modeling and how data gets presented to end users when they are trying to summarize data points. You know, you looking at three months of data at five minute intervals, but your screen's only 600 pixels wide. You know, how do you handle that? Uh, Peak erosion. Yeah. What happens? Do you keep maximas do you keep minimas do you do averages do you do most things average all these other things and there's lots of ways to handle it but if you don't know why or how the data is being done and you're just letting it side for you you're gonna get badly misled and 2016 was very eye-opening to me in lots of the aspects of how you display the data once you've gathered it in a metric system and i'm looking forward to in 2017 further developing those talents and helping the, my end users understand and better better see what the data is telling them. Yeah, the fact that that the basic understanding of statistical modeling is based on a uniform distribution. Um, averages only give you an idea of about uh, of a normal distribution. If you're dealing with latencies like page load times, um, that's not a normal distribution. That's not a normal distribution at all. Um, you really want your data to be skewed pretty heavily towards zero. Um, so yeah, an average of that data makes very little sense. Your audio went really weird there for a second, Jack. I will trust my recording, right? Yeah. That's why we do it that way. I'm sorry. The internet does not allow me to speak that truth. So is there anything else in the year behind or the year ahead, guys? I've covered my list pretty well. Yeah, I guess I have to jump on the histogram bandwagon just because of dealing with Prometheus so much. Uh, histograms actually were something I didn't even know existed or really uh, knew about them. And, and I will have to admit, even still, I don't know 100% or couldn't explain it to you 100%. But I'm, I'm, I've am i learned more about that and statistical averages and things like that due to my focus on, on monitoring. Uh, and I, I knew that the uh, data we were getting out of StatsD was... Not exactly an accurate picture, but as my as I've learned more about Prometheus and histograms and log linear histograms and statistical modeling, um, I've become more and more really Statsy just lies to you folks. It it just lies. That's all there is to it. Please take the time to rate the show on iTunes. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave a comment on the website at, oper- at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use operations.fm on Twitter to get in touch with us. We really value your feedback and your ideas for uh, future topics. That wraps it up for the 28th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. We have been Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks. Good night.